Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's October 4th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes. It is another busy news day, and uh, I am joined from Washington, D.C. by Andrew Egger of the Washington, of the, of the Weekly Standard, and by, and we're on multiple time zones here, David Byler, who is uh, with us via Skype from Los Angeles. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it very much. Good afternoon, Charlie. Good morning, David. All right. Thanks for having us. And and I happen to be right here in the middle of flyover country here in Wisconsin. So we once again have three time zones. All right. The FBI filed its investigative report on Brett Kavanaugh. Um, uh, where are we at right now? A- even as we speak, Andrew, the conventional wisdom seems to be, you know, even though we're going to be debating this for 30 years, whether this was a thorough investigation, it appears, at least from what I'm seeing before we started this podcast, that some of the swing votes appear to be satisfied with the the investigation. So state of play right now, Andrew. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the correct way to look at it. Obviously, there are a million different angles from which this thing's going to be dissected. Um, the the big sort of political question of whether or not uh, the White House leaned on the FBI in order to prevent them from running down a couple of potential leads. That's something Democrats are alleging. That's something the White House is denying. That's something I don't think holds a whole lot of water personally. Um, but but if, if anybody was sort of hoping that, you know, this, this bipartisan FBI investigation, uh, or nonpartisan, I should say, FBI investigation would sort of heal some of that rancor uh, and some of those divisions in Congress, um, Jeff Flake clearly hoped that would happen when he called for this investigation. He said he hoped that would happen. Uh, it doesn't seem like that's happening. All the battle lines are pretty much staying the same as they've been all along. Uh, but I do think that you you get at the key point, which is that w- from from purely the question of does this make Brett Kavanaugh more or less likely to be confirmed to the Supreme Court, uh, I, I don't think there's any question that that it has helped his chances because uh, for that question, you know, all the the, the only people who really matter, uh, whose opinions really matter, are Jeff Flake, Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, maybe Joe Manchin and, and Joe Donnelly. If you get three of those five, you're golden. Um, and I uh, even two of those five, you're golden. And I think that uh, that w- w- we've seen uh, Collins and Flake, at the very least, say they think this investigation uh, hasn't turned up anything particularly new, and they think that it is uh, a pretty, you know, uh, exhaustive and and uh, and, and well uh, conducted. Uh, investigation. So I think that we've we, we, we've seen Kavanaugh's chances of getting confirmed, even by a very narrow 50 to 50, 49 to 51 vote. I think that's gone up today. Yeah, I, I think there's two solid takes here that, uh, that that as of right now, it looks like this report will clear the way for the Kavanaugh confirmation, uh, but also that it will not heal any sort of partisan divide, uh, the, the, the emotional, political, ideological um, divisions that have really been aggravated over the last week, uh, you know, are not going to be healed. Uh, and, and we are going to be debating this for a long time. Uh, the, the, and you know, once again, we, we live in an era of completely irresolvable issues. So, uh, you know, this report, and of course we have not seen it is not available to the public, but it does not appear to have anything that casts substantial doubt on Brett Kavanaugh or that provides substantial corroboration for the allegations against him. Uh, That seems to be pretty clear. But the Democrats, of course, uh, are going to complain that key people were not not, uh, interrogated or were not interviewed by the FBI. They did not talk to Brett Kavanaugh. They did not talk to Christine Blasey Ford. Um, They did not um, talk to many of the people who had uh, told the media that they wanted to talk 
to the FBI about various um, uh, accusations. Yeah, and if I if the, I could just extrapolate the, yeah, on that, sure, go ahead. Just Andrew. a bit. I'm just going to read a little from a, a really yep. good piece that's up on our, our our site today that John McCormick, who's been great on all this stuff, uh, wrote this morning. Um, just sort of getting into what the FBI did and didn't do. So this is just a quote from the piece: uh, The FBI interviewed all the alleged party attendees, Ford's lifelong female friend Leland Ingham Kaiser, Kavanaugh friend P.J. Smith, and alleged accomplice Mark Judge. Kaiser had previously said she recalls no party at which Kavanaugh was present and does not know Kavanaugh, Schumer, and Feinstein gave no indication Kaiser has changed her story. And then the FBI also interviewed Chris Garrett, a person Ford went out with around the time of the alleged assault in 1982, and Ford's only known social connection to Kavanaugh and Judge. The FBI also interviewed Tim Gaudette, who hosted a July 1st, 1982 party that has been the focus of much speculation. Um, so so th- essentially what we're seeing is that the FBI, you know, they, they did their due diligence in terms of doing interviews with anybody who, ha- who has been alleged to have a direct connection to any of these uh, alleged assaults. Some of the people some of the people that Democrats and, and some pundits are complaining weren't interviewed are people who have come forward to claim to have some knowledge, but nobody who has claimed to have firsthand knowledge of any of these things has not been interviewed, if that makes sense. So one of the one of the people that the Washington Post, uh, a specific Washington Post columnist whose name is escaping me right now, but he he uh, said it was it was a shame that this person uh, was not interviewed by the FBI because this person uh, claims to have uh, knowledge, uh, contemporaneous knowledge of the second accusation of Deborah Ramirez's accusation, but this person only claims to have heard about this uh, incident from a roommate who was supposedly at the party or something like that at the time. He doesn't himself have firsthand knowledge. So, it, to my mind, at least, I mean, there are, there are you know reasonable arguments to be made here uh, on both sides, but I do think that this one is a bit of a stretch that the FBI you know didn't get didn't do their due diligence in getting to the bottom uh, when they have actually interviewed everyone who was you know closely connected, who was a potential eyewitness uh, or corroborate, corroborating witness of any of these stories. Yeah, well, it, it, it's hard to say. I mean, it was it was such, such short duration, and you know, when you don't interview forty people who say they have something, look, I don't disagree with you about this, um, and I also think it was uh, naive for some people to believe that that in the end that this uh, this uh, nomination was going to hinge upon um, you know stories about the drinking or about the the what he said about the yearbook. I mean, I understand there may be some inconsistencies there, but but really, I didn't think they were going to be dispositive. And that I don't think the senators would think is uh, would be dispositive. No one's going to vote against a Supreme Court nominee because uh, he mischaracterized a line from his high school yearbook. That right. was just that was just not going to happen. Uh, but uh, clearly, you know, and again, a reminder: this was not a criminal investigation to try to find out uh, what actually happened if if they ever did. But it was a background. It, it, what I'm saying is, it, it will it will give both sides. You know, a- ammunition to go forward right. um, without without resolving this. But you know, here's yeah, I don't know who's going to be the first person, or maybe it's been been written already. But the who's going to write the Michael Avenatti saves the GOP Senate uh, story? And I, I know that Eric Felton always wrote already wrote, has written the piece uh, how Michael Avenatti saved the, the Kavanaugh nomination. But you know what what a what a moment to step back and and to to, to acknowledge or or to emphasize how the weaker allegations and the bogus allegations and the opportunistic allegations really in the end backfired on Kavanaugh's critics. I mean, there's, you know, Gresham's law is that bogus money drives out, uh, you know, good, good money. Uh, The the same thing applies, I think, for, for accusations, you know, had the focus been strictly on Christine Blasey Ford, I think that it might have played out somewhat differently. But when you had that New Yorker piece, which was so thinly sourced, 
Um, and and then you had Michael Avenatti, who came up with a story that was not plausible from the get go and just fell apart within within days. Yeah, at the you slightest know, that, touch. That, that, that has really fueled, I think, the anger and the backlash. And I want, I want to talk about the question of, you know, is there a Kavanaugh bump? Because you know, that, that, is, that is the narrative of, of the day. But, but Michael Avenatti's role here is, is really exceptional. And I wonder whether or not he's going to pay a price in terms of his media celebrity and, and that uh, brief flirtation of the Democratic Party had with him yeah i i don't know i mean it's the 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 bar for you know plausibility in the job that he has right now which is essentially just to sort of be a floating pundit uh anti-trump pundit on you know different cable news networks you know it's it's really sort of hard to (laughs) to do something so outrageous that you you know you lose your ability to take you know snarky pot shots at the president i don't and and i mean we 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 saw this even in the wake of that uh disastrous julie swetnick interview on nbc on monday you know avenatti hops on his regular cable gigs uh that that evening following that and you know it's not like people it's not like the coat the anchors of those shows really going after his own credibility they were just like you know it's interesting you know there's there's some uh difficulties in her testimony here what do you make of that and he you know bloviates off into uh you know he does what he always does. So I, I don't yeah. know. I mean, he, he's, he's, he's probably never not going to be on cable news for the foreseeable future. I don't know if we, we, we could possibly luck into that. But uh, but certainly, uh, I mean, if, if he ends up running for president or something like that, you have to think this this hurts him in that in that sense, at least. Yeah, well, it, it, it ought to hurt him. I mean, if, if in fact, and we're going to talk about this in a moment, um, if, if in fact the backlash is so great that not only does Kavanaugh get confirmed, uh, but but in fact, the Republicans succeed in holding or even expanding their majority. You know, the Democrats really have to, uh, you know, ha- have to have that moment of introspection um, about uh, the price they pay for behaving badly. And and I mean, and I also think that in terms of burning through goodwill, the, even before these allegations came out, the performance of you know Kamala Harris and uh, and and Cory Booker, I think you know we're we're already stoking you know real a sense of outrage that they were um, that they were crossing the line that that they were. Uh, you know, going out of their way to to smear Brett Kavanaugh, they they weren't they weren't playing by the same rules. And again, you know, at, at the moment, um, that 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 uh, acknowledgement of goodwill appears to be very um, in short supply. So, David, the reason I really wanted to have you on the podcast today, and I appreciate you joining us from Los Angeles, is because you know, within the last twenty four hours, there's been a you know real shift in the narrative on on the midterm elections. And I wanted to get a reality check from you because you are our data guy. And uh, the the reality check, I mean the or the, the the change in in the narrative, and Axios uh, talks about it. Um, polls from some of the red states would indicate that uh, that the you know feelings about Kavanaugh have mobilized Republican support. The enthusiasm of Republican voters appears to have been jazzed. So you have a piece up on the Weekly Standard site looking at the actual data. And of course, this this is a moving target, and it could look differently, you know, two days from now, a week from now, two weeks from now. But give me a sense, you know, how how I mean, has the Kavanaugh nomination moved the needle? Right. So I think this is a really good question. And I would bring in uh, three different data points or trends. 
first one is presidential approval. So uh, the Real Clear Politics average over the last two-ish weeks, sort of between the time when um, Christine Blasey Ford's uh, name was first published in the Post and sort of this whole story started to take shape. Between that time and now, you've seen a couple points of improvement in Trump's overall job approval. In our Senate forecast, uh, Swing Seat, which you know I designed to take in all the different Senate polls and a number of other factors, between now and this time last week, uh, which is when there were the hearings with Ford and Kavanaugh in the Senate, uh, the Republican odds or chances, their probability of of holding the Senate went up by about 5%. And if you look at the 538 House forecast, you see kind of a very modest movement towards the Republicans there. So put together, what I would say is that right now, there's kind of a modest Kavanaugh-ish bump across a couple different indicators. It's not huge. It's not earth-shattering. Um, the overall, you know, 30,000-foot view doesn't change wildly, but, you know, 5%, I think, of an increase in my model is something that uh, doesn't happen due to just straight noise. Now, to, Okay, so and, from, from what yeah. to what? I want to get so it from... Oh, yeah, sorry, 65, yeah. Uh, roughly 65 to 70% chance now, now, of... Now, this is interesting. I'm, I'm enough of a geek that, I, you know, I, I follow this, you know, even though I had that terrible experience back in 2016 with, with other people's needles, but, but you had been around 70%, and then... It had dropped um, within the last month down to the the low 60s, and um, and so so this is this is a is a return to where we were at before, where you were pro projecting you know a pretty good uh, pretty good night for Republicans. But to tell me tell me which races are most impacted? Everybody's been focusing on the North Dakota numbers showing Heidi Heitkamp down mm -hmm. by 10 percent, and I'm 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 not close enough to know. I know how reliable this, this poll is or whether it's an outlier or, or whether or not she was already dead woman walking before this all blew up. Can you give me right. a sense of North Dakota? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good question. So North Dakota is the main data point that people are looking at on the Senate side. We have a couple polls now that have double digit leads for Kramer. Basically, prior to those most recent polls, the model was still reasonably high on uh, Kramer. It had him oftentimes sort of in the 60 to 70% win range, but now it's got him sort of in the 80% win range. It's sort of pushed him up further. This hasn't been the case in every red state. At the same time as we got those polls that were really good for the Republicans in North Dakota, uh, Joe Manchin in West Virginia got another strong poll uh, there. So it's not necessarily even across races yet. I'd be interested to see how they evolve uh, over time. And in some of these other red states, the polls are close and we haven't seen that same amount of movement. But, you know, if you take one state that doesn't get a ton of polls and you suddenly give the Republicans a couple really good polls, the model responds to that. And it thinks that that really increases the Republicans chance of winning in that state and therefore keeping the chamber as a whole. Okay, now let's and, and Andrew, feel free to 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 weigh in on this because this was a conversation that I had this morning, and I don't, which is um, that uh, somebody asked me, so, so do you think that there is a big Kavanaugh bump? And my response was, uh, for here in Wisconsin, there's no question that the Republican base is really um, fired up about this uh, and that they are motivated, but I'm not completely sure 
whether or not the people who are expressing the most outrage and interest in this are people who are not going to vote anyway. You know, in an off-year election in a state like Wisconsin, th- these folks were going to come out to vote. There's no question about it. Um, you know, th- there was never that huge of an of an enthusiasm gap. But then the second question I have, and either one of you, we live in a cycle where everything seems to be in, you know, for, something that happened 48 hours ago seems forever ago. Right now, there is a, an emotional high. What is the shelf life of that emotion? Do you follow what I'm getting at here? You know, w- w- will it persist uh, for the next two, three weeks? Or do these things have a, they have like a half-life, like uranium or something like that? Yeah, I think um, I, I think it's a, it's a it's a good question and fair fair to contemplate. I I'm I'm not worried in the in the in the sense of you know I I don't think that it's going to uh, deflate. Say I mean say say you know just just to run it out. Say Kavanaugh uh, they 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 keep to the schedule this time. Uh, they vote uh, to confirm it's Kavanaugh as early Saturday. as Saturday and he gets through right. Um, so right. that 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 happens you know roughly a month before the midterms. Um, I I do think that you know. In, in the past, oftentimes we've seen, uh, you know, obviously over the course of a month, the narratives can completely change. Um, but I do think that if this is a win uh, for Trump and Republicans, uh, most of the time when we see these things change, it's because Donald Trump himself has pivoted to a new issue um, where he's, you know, he is, sort of loses interest with whatever was going on before. Uh, and then the White House is pushing some new thing and he's tweeting explosive things about it. And, you know, everybody's uh, running around like chickens with their heads cut off. Off, and, and you just forget what happened before because of that new sort of furor. But I think that, you know, going into this election, if if uh, Kavanaugh's confirmed, Trump will see that as a win, a big win over the obstructionist Democrats. And it will and he, be. Yeah, I mean, it, it will have been, at, least, at the very least, politically, a big win for, yeah. for him. Um, and I think that he will continue to tout that over the next month or so. And, and you know, what, what Trump says just sets the tone for the party at this point. I mean, it's it, 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 it would be really, really, really hard um, as long as Trump is still, you know, going all over the place trumpeting this this yeah. Kavanaugh win for people to to lose track and, and get distracted by the next thing. So I don't think it's going to be a, an issue of of enthusiasm next month. Okay, so uh, David, I wanted to ask you this because you're, you're you're the data guy. One of the most extraordinary things about polling in the era of Trump is how stable it is that that it doesn't appear to respond that much to uh, you know to, to to the ups and downs. So you, your your sense. Of the, you know, again, we we talked about the you know, whether or not there. You said it was a modest effect, the Kavanaugh effect, but you know, will will everything revert to norm by by election day? Is what I'm getting at. Yeah, I I think Andrew made a lot of good points. I think there's a pretty good shot of that. That if things stay on the schedule that they're on, that some other issue will also take hold, and you'll have other events competing for attention with the Kavanaugh. Um, nomination and potentially confirmation. The interesting thing to me about this whole Kavanaugh confirmation, you know, debate about how it'll affect what is that if you look through some of the history, you see a pattern of parties uh, sort of losing electorally after winning on policy. And, okay, that was my uh, next sorry. question. You're ahead of me. Oh, here. Go on. sorry, <laughs> sorry. Um, no, yeah. Go on. yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Give me an, exa- uh, base- give me an example of that. 
Right. Well, there are a lot of examples. The one that comes to mind first is the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. Uh, in 2010, with the Democratic Party, uh, you know, uh, President Obama uh, got that through Congress. They signed it into law, so on and so forth. But signing health care reform into law took an issue that Democrats cared about off the table. That gave some Democratic voters less reason to turn out. It energized a lot of Republican voters who really, really didn't like the law against it. And if you sort of go back through history, you can see even really successful presidents of both parties have faced some seriously rough midterms after accomplishing things. You know, just off the top of my head, 1982, uh, the House, that was a rough midterm for Reagan. 1986, the Senate was. FDR had multiple really rough midterms during his terms. You you have, and I'm not saying that Trump is d either of those people. I'm just saying legislative victories. Yeah, d right, despite, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe even because of legislative victories, you could make the argument that if you you know if you accomplish something that's in your platform, then you've kind of removed that plank from the platform that you know your voters have less of a reason to come out and vote for you because they already have one of the things that they want. And the voters who don't like you are energized and, you know, feel really angry and so on and so forth. And uh, this is this is very, very interesting to me because this what you're describing is that sometimes you lose by winning. And yeah. and I've had this this thought at the back of my mind that whichever side comes out of this weekend on the losing side will be more motivated. Um, and and you're, you're, you're kind of along the same lines here that that sometimes winning, you know, again, takes the emotional edge off, whereas the outrage of losing is often very, very motivating, particularly in a in a midterm election. And you don't really know how this is going to look or how it will feel a week from now, two weeks from from, from now. Um, the, the the left, you know, um, Democrats, uh, the, the the media, the way they're going to play it, uh, but but also most importantly, college edu educated women in the in the suburbs. How are they going to process this? How are they going to feel about it? And I'm I'm guessing that uh, the 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 heads that are going to explode um, will be on the on the losing side. I, I I agree with you, and I think this is a really important point that that sometimes legislative political victories do not translate. Uh, into in, into an electoral victory on on on, on motivation. If Andrew, I could, what do you think about? Yeah, this? If, I, if I could just, I, I think you're both uh, making really good points and absolutely right about this. I think there is that danger. I, I would add that um, one thing, uh, one one tool that Trump and Republicans will have in their toolkit uh, to potentially forestall such a thing in the event that they do get Kavanaugh confirmed is that they can point out, you know, probably correctly, that just because Kavanaugh is confirmed does not mean that that particular fight is won. That if Democrats do take the House back in a landslide if they take back the Senate, uh, that one of the first things they're going to do, uh, they, they, one of the first things they may do, Republicans will probably make the case that they will do, is not only introduce articles of impeachment for President Trump, but they might actually try to immediately impeach Brett Kavanaugh because you know they, they, they could make the argument based on the arguments they've made already that he is just com completely unfit to serve. Um, so I, I think that you know Republicans will have the ability to say, you know, we've won this fight, but this is a, this is a fragile game. That if we lose this particular election, uh, you know, that the Democrats would actually stand to be able to roll back a lot of that, a lot of what what has been now gained through so much, you know, painstaking uh, flurry of activity. So I I, I I agree with what you guys are saying. I, I all, and the, the other thing is that um, you, you know, compared to the Reagan era, certainly compared to the Roosevelt era, I do think that. Uh, 
people in general see uh, politics as so much more of sort of an epistemic thing and, and, and not just sort of like policy, uh, you know, which which slate of policies right. you want enacted uh, to the degree where, you know, most, uh, hopefully not most people, but a, a sizable number of people in America see sort of every election as a chance for, you know, people that hate their, their kind of people to get back power and make their lives worse. So I think that, you know, I think that also sort of accounts for what you were talking about before, which is sort of the stability of the polling numbers throughout all of these insane news cycles we've gone through over the course of the last year and a half, uh, that there's still, you know, is are enough people on each side who are just like, well, whatever happens, we can't give power back to the Democrats or whatever happens, we can't, you know, let Republicans hold on to power uh, that 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 provides sort of a certain amount of stability, <laughs> if right. nothing else, to the to those sort of polling numbers. Yeah, and and you know it, it was Donald Trump was elected because conservative Republican voters decided it was a binary choice, and right now they are back to believing that it is a binary choice. Um, and I want to ask about that, including one one article that was uh, in in the news that would normally be dominating the news cycle, but is not this this uh, rather extraordinary fourteen thousand word piece in the New York Times. But but first, the Daily Standard is brought to you today by Calm. Look, a lot of words have been used to describe the current state of the country, and calm isn't one of them. It's certainly not today. And personally, I don't think I've taken a deep breath in the last two years, and I don't think I'm alone in all of that. That's why why, um, we're pretty happy to be able to partner here at the the Daily Standard Podcast with Calm, the number one app for sleep, meditation, and relaxation. It's even named Apple's 2017 app of the year. Calm gives you the tools you need to live a happier, healthier, and more mindful life. Just five minutes of calm can change your entire day. So if you head to calm.com slash standard, you'll get 25% off of a calm premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of premium programming, including actually guided meditations on things like anxiety, stress, focus, and relationships. So for a limited time, daily standard listeners can get 25% off of a calm premium subscription at calm.com slash standard. And that includes unlimited access to all of calm's amazing content. Get started today at calm.com slash standard. That's calm.com slash standard. So, so David, you're sitting out there in Los Angeles. So everybody's all mellow and chill out there anyway, right? <laughs> so, sure. So, so, th- so those of us in Washington, D.C. or New York or, or Washington, we probably need this more than you guys. Because you'll just, you'll just head out to the beach, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and, Andrew, I, I think we, I know what the answer to this question is. Um, the The New York Times came up with this. Uh, I, I think w- really had kind of an epic, epic, uh, epic uh, act of journalism going back, uh, analyzing Donald Trump and the Trump family's financing, uh, indicating that he got a lot more money from uh, from his dad than he had acknowledged in the past, and that much of the wealth may have been formed through fraudulent uh, tax and and real estate uh, deals. Is that the kind of thing that changes the political dynamic either in the midterms or going ahead in 2020 in any way? It certainly undermines the carefully crafted or the claimed image that Donald Trump has of being a uh, a self-made billionaire. And in the past, he said over and over again that he only got $1 million from his daddy um, and, and that he built the that he built the the empire by himself. Uh, these documents suggest it was more like in the hundreds of millions of dollars. So, to just talk about how 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 that plays out going forward. Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, it does completely undermine this uh, these claims that Donald Trump has made about himself over and over and over again. 
but no, I don't, I don't really see a scenario in which, you know, this is his Achilles heel or something like that. I mean, the, 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 the thing about Donald Trump is that it's never the, the, the thing that has been appealing about him to voters, you know, even back during the primaries, even when he was, you know, just sort of making speculative, uh, speculating about running for president, you know, decades ago. It isn't that he is like the richest guy or, you know, the, the, the best businessman or the, 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 the most uh, squeaky clean self-made, uh, you know, billionaire on on the market. It's that he has, you know, this. Uh, this celebrity. It's that he he is he is he has a brand that he is you know the rich guy that he is you know the the guy who owns the hotels and the casinos and the resorts and who and the steaks and the vodka and everything and had the TV show where he uh, where he you know uh, where his whole persona on the TV show was being sort of like this savvy business guy. So yeah, I mean it, it this this Times report is is exhaustive. Uh, it's you know it's 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 compelling. It's uh, it's really really convincing. I have not read it front to back, uh, but what I have read is you know like yeah. They they sort of they got him. Uh, this is this is accurate information, but I don't think it's going to move the needle. I think that uh, you know, as with every other Trump scandal, it's going to be sort of like a well, you know, it's not like uh, for for his supporters, it's not like we ever saw him as like the a squeaky clean business guy. It's like he was sort of a a mover moving and shaking New York real it, estate right? magnet. This, yeah, he's like he, this he, was already this was already baked in. Yeah, I mean like <laughs> that that the whole that's the whole sort of image that he's always had as sort of this like sort of scurrilous. Uh, Atlantic City, New York, robber baron tycoon guy. I mean, like, what? Are you, he cheated on his taxes? Are you kidding? Um, yeah, I mean, like Trump, Trump University. Look, and I, I agree with you. I mean, you, you, you put, you know, this into into three categories. Number one, you know, a lot of the Trump, uh, you know, Trump supporters, you know, aren't 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 going to hear about this because they don't read the New York Times. Um, number two, they won't they won't believe it because it comes from the New York Times. And number three, maybe this is the largest uh, largest group of all. Um, even if they hear about it, and even if they believe it, they don't care. Yeah, I mean, I like, mean, and 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 we've been through this so many times. Nobody should actually be surprised about all of this. Now, of course, that really, there's always the question: Will there be any legal consequences? Obviously, not criminal. Will there be you know, civil consequences? Will the New York uh, tax authorities go in? Uh, but uh, but no, I, I I agree with you, and I think we've we've kind of seen this movie before, and we know how this one ends, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 th- th- this is the classic thing. This is the classic uh, way a story like this unfolds in the Trump era. Is is the New York Times spends years and you know like untold man hours cranking out this like like you say like this enormous fourteen thousand word uh, expose. Uh, you know that's they they they've got all their sourcing in there. It's all it's all there. It's all you know you can Google it. And you can read it. Uh, it's it's online. It exists. And then on the other side, then you just have Sarah Sanders come out and say, "Oh, this story's fake news." And that's the whole ball game, right? I mean, it's like you can you can go there and you can read the story and you can see the ways in which it's compelling, or you can just be like, "Oh yeah, uh, Sarah Sanders said that was fake news, so why bother reading this fourteen thousand word story?" So it's I mean, it's I, I don't think it hurts him. Yeah, maybe I mean, I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this no, will be no, the no, one no, thing no, that hurts. You know, again, maybe, <laughs> maybe on the margins, but I would be certainly naive to say this is the one that's going to change it. Right? right. This is going to be the one that's going to shake right. people loose because well, and, you're not even, doing that right now. Yeah, and, and I certainly don't think this is you know like the most sort of morally outrageous thing about President Trump. You know, like if 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 if, if you're still sticking with him after you know, av- uh, I mean the the one that still really gets me is the the family separations that happened a few months ago. I mean, oh if, my god! If you made it through yeah. that. Yeah, remember that? Remember when that happened? Remember when people were thinking about that uh, in, back in ancient history? 
Um, no, and and I, actually, there 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 are some some more recent stories about. It. I think I tweeted something out saying this is kind of a big deal, isn't yeah, it? And yeah. and yet it, it it's completely erased. No, there's there's a lot of other things you know about this, but this is one of those moments to step back and you know for the the legacy media. This is really the best of times and the worst of times. I mean, that is one of the most extraordinarily, uh, you know, comprehensive, uh, in-depth pieces of journalism that I can remember. And and there, there's been a lot. On the other hand, you know, we're also seeing this is the worst of times in in terms of you know over the top trying to figure out how to modulate, how do you deal with these questions. Um, I, I think that there's going to be you know lingering. Um, disillusionment with the way some media outlets handled the whole Kavanaugh case. Uh, we're also seeing the you know decimation just economically of much of the media you know out, outside of the you know, outside of the the, the the major centers. But you know it, it is that that story is is a reminder of what real in depth journalism at its best could look like. But in 2016, I'm sorry, 2018, it just maybe doesn't matter that much. Yeah, which is you got to click on it. Had a, Get your head on around that. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, David Byler, whose swing seat model is an absolute must read on a daily basis on the, the Weekly Standard website. Uh, Andrew Egger, thanks for joining me. And thank you for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow and we'll do this all over again. <laughs>